Being a geek is all about being honest about what you enjoy and not being afraid to demonstrate that affection. It means never having to play it cool about how much you like something. It's basically a license to proudly emote on a somewhat childish level rather than behave like a supposed adult. Being a geek is extremely liberating. The Broken Meeple, Episode 23, Essen 2014 Today's show is being broadcast at the ending hours of Essen 2014, therefore my top 10 for today is the top 10 Essen releases that I've been looking forward to. As well as that, I give my usual first impressions and news from recent months, and my discussion topic for today is using your mobile phone when gaming. Welcome, it's the 18th of October 2014, and this is episode 23 of The Broken Meeple. I'm back, and sadly, not at Essen. Yeah, uh, I did say I wanted to get into the convention this year for 2014, but it was just a bit too difficult to organise, it was too close to another holiday I'd already planned for next week, and I just kind of bottled out really, so mostly my fault, but I'm determined, I really want to go to Essen for 2015 I really do so if anybody can help me out on this I'll be grateful but even without help I will find a way to get there I just want to go so badly because I can't go to any of the conventions in America really it's just too far away too much money but Essen is doable so next year I'm gonna make more of a concerted effort that being said it's not all bad news though I've now entered into a new agreement with Games Quest. Games Quest have been run by a good friend of mine, Nigel, and he basically has put together a little team of reviewers, namely himself, his brother, a friend of his, Tom, uh, his brother being Paul, sorry, and Tom's girlfriend, Nikki, and of course himself and me. Now the idea is, is that we are promoting the Games Quest blog, which is quite a regular blog on his store website, but obviously we want to get more traffic, we want to get more reviews up, we want it to make it a big thing. And this is a volunteer thing, this is not a, like, you know, we get paid to do this or anything, this is purely volunteering. And basically I'm going to be doing reviews on a regular basis for them, as well as my own blog. Basically as long as I don't contradict the reviews I do for them, it's not a problem. Or I suppose in the long run I could put reviews out on my blog providing they've been on their site for a while. I don't know, we'll, we'll iron out the details. But basically, you should see more reviews coming from me, not only on my blog, but also on the Games Quest blog. I will post links up to those as time goes on. And also on Board Game Geek, you'll probably see reviews in there as well. I'm looking forward to doing this because it's going to mean not only, well, okay, yes, I'm going to be getting some review copies of games, but let's face it, most of the major reviewers do, so I hardly think that's a major controversial issue. But we're going to remain integral and we're going to remain honest. So if we don't like the game, we're going to say we don't like the game. This is not a case of, oh, this game's been sold by Games Quest, therefore we must say it's great. No, no, no. If I don't like the game, I'm going to say I don't like it. You know me. I give honest reviews. I mean, look at my reviews in the past, you know, games that I've rated highly, like Sentinels and the Multiverse. I've said proudly that I think it's my favorite game of all time and I stand by that but then bad games like Kingdom Builder and I suppose not bad games but certainly less liked games like Dead of Winter which you can see my review up on the blog and on Board Game Geek now as of yesterday then 
You see that I like to give an honest opinion. I don't like to be biased towards a designer or a publisher or a particular genre. So that's the way I like to roll. But it does mean that I'm going to get more games reviewed, and I'm expecting, or hoping I suppose is the better word, that after Essen I should be looking forward to getting copies of the expansion to Seven Wonders, Babel, King of New York, Panamax, Pandemic the Cure, and the expansion to Terra Mystica, Fire and Ice. That, among other things, because obviously I'm buying games as I go along myself anyway. But it means that there's going to be more reviews coming, there's going to be more games played, looking forward to it, and I hope this will be a great adventure that doesn't suddenly like boil down and die. I think we're, we're pretty enthusiastic about it. And, you know, with any luck, because Nigel likes to go to Essen as well each year, because obviously he's a store, needs stock, maybe I could pay him a bit of money and go with him next year. That would be good, actually. Maybe I'll help him out on the store. He's always asked me to volunteer every now and again, so maybe that would be a good way to get to Essen. I don't know. Ideas. Oh well, enough of that. But now let's get on with the show and starting off with some news. Three fairly short bits of news today, the first of which is a recent announcement that was done at Essen that the creators of Magic the Gathering are doing a strategy board game under the same license. This has obviously got everybody who likes Magic pretty much up in arms about, oh yes, you know, can't wait for this. Me, I don't know. It. I liked Magic the Gathering and I would still happily play the game, but I got out of it because I didn't like the whole CCG aspect. It was just too much of a power creep and I couldn't cope. But a Magic the Gathering board game. I, the way I see this running is probably a sort of miniatures game, maybe maybe something like Mage Wars, where you've got your spell book and you have all the spells that you can cast and there'll be miniatures on the board to represent like line of sight and things like that. It could be quite an interesting game. I'll bet it'll be overpriced as hell and I bet it, when it if it goes on Kickstarter, if it does do that, it'll just break up so much money in trying to get all its miniatures out of stretch goals. But it could be a good laugh, so we'll have to see how that pans out. Certainly it's going to be one that I bet all board game reviewers are going to highlight for time to come. Second on the news agenda is one that I've really looked forward to. Sentinels of the Multiverse has now been released on iOS and Android. I believe possibly Windows as well, I'm not entirely sure, but iOS and Android definitely. And this, I've I've played through the app a couple of nights ago and played a couple of games through it. I love it. I'm hoping that this might kickstart my ability to do some maybe some video reviews. You know, um, I'd said I wasn't going to do video reviews on YouTube anymore, but... Uh, I, when I say that, I mean more in the case of getting the camcorder out and doing reviews like Dice Tower fame and that kind of thing. Now, but what I'm on about is doing the video reviews of iOS games because with an iOS game, it's easier because you port the screen of the iPad onto your PC and I can just wear my headset and talk through Audacity like I'm doing now and you can see the video of me playing on the app whilst I talk about it. It sounds like it will be less time intensive and it will still be a good thing for people to watch and it will also keep the YouTube channel going. So this is in the works. But more about the app itself, I think it's been ported very well. All the images are correct, all the characters and the enhanced edition are there, villains, environments and heroes alike. The cards have not been changed, they're the same artwork, it's that cool comic book style. 
And when you play the game, it's almost like a comic book. Every time it changes turn from environment to villain to hero, it's like pages are being folded out of a book. And it's all vibrant, it's all colourful, and you've got this really cool like rock soundtrack in the background. Well, I'm not going to sing it, it's rubbish. <laughs> it's rubbish if I sing it. But the... You know, music just makes it feel like a great comic book fight. You know, it's I've waited for this app and I'm glad it's there because now I've got a way to play Sentinels in the Multiverse if I'm away from home. It's a bit pricey, I'll give it that though. It cost me seven quid to get it on the iOS, which I thought was a bit expensive for a game app. But I think this is one of those where it's worth it and you're going to get your mileage out of it. So, Sentinels of the Multiverse on iOS, pick it up if you haven't already. And the final bit of light news is an impending release for Marvel Legendary. They, I'm not sure if this is already released in the US, but it certainly hasn't in the UK yet. And that is another expansion to Marvel Legendary, which is a Guardians of the Galaxy expansion. Yep, Marvel Legendary is already capitalizing on the success of the, to be deserved, very good Guardians of the Galaxy film back in August. I watched it, I thought it might bomb because of its premise and the fact it had so many characters to fit in, but it did a very good job and it was very good. I, 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 well, it was very good, just in general. I really liked it and I look forward to getting the Blu-ray when it's released. But now we've got it in Marvel Legendary, so expect to see the all the heroes represented by different decks, expect to see the uh, villain, the Thorium or whatever they were called, uh, in there as well, and possibly a couple of other little bits and bobs to go along with it. It's it's a bit like the same expansions like Paint the Town Red and the Fantastic Four. It's that sort of mini 100 card expansion. So, but I reckon this will be quite good actually, especially as you'll be able to do thematic games where you have all five of them together against the major villain. Although with Marvel Legendary, I'd rather not play it with five players. So it is a bit of a mission that I would, I would take three Free player at Marvel Legendary is better, but still free out of the game. You know, I could have Star Lord, I could have the I forget his name, but I could have the Raccoon, and uh, I could have Groot. I think those three would be quite a funny pairing to try out for the first game. But I'm looking forward to it, and I'm sure I'll probably get it and sleeve it and do all that. But just to let you know, it's coming. So if you want to expand your Marvel Legendary game a bit more, keep a lookout. The Guardians of the Galaxy. Going on to the first impressions now, and let's start off on a positive note with Star Realms. This is by White Wizard Games, and it's been out for a little while, and around my local gaming clubs, it has been the new hotness. Everyone's been going on about it, but when it comes to actually getting a deck for this, blimey, has it been hard. I mean, I thought Marvel Dice Masters was hard. Star Realms is getting on to a similar level. It's just selling out like hotcakes every time it comes into the shops. And I was intrigued by this because I thought just a simple little deck building game with two players, with some multiplayer variants, but mainly a two player game. And it, it just seemed interesting how such a game was going to be so popular. Well, I got really lucky in that Nigel again from Games Quest picked up a few more, realised that I had an interest in the game and saved me a copy which I bought from him. So I've managed to now get a copy of Star Realms and I was able to get shown how to play the game at a recent Portsmouth event. And 
I can sort of see where everyone's hype is coming from. It's a very simple deck-building game where you're it's set in space and you buy from four different factions. You've got all these different ships that you can buy. They go into your deck and they have special abilities on each of them. But what you're trying to do is combo the cards. You have an ability on the card for it in general and it may be an attack value or it may be money value. But, think like Marvel Legendary in that sort of sense, but if you play cards of the similar faction, you get to combo other abilities. Again, think Marvel Legendary with the special symbols that you can get, like the uh, green fist that Hulk has. Play this card, then play a copy of a card with that symbol on it, and then suddenly you get more abilities. The difference between that and this game, though, is that when you play the cards in your hand, if any of them have the combo abilities and the condition is met, all of them combo. So it's not that you have to play the first card and then only the second card goes off. No, all the cards do. So you can pull off some really good turns if you know how to build your deck well. Four factions, four different types of ships. They're all very different. They all have their similar types... Sorry, their, their similar styles, but they have different abilities. So one may be better for thinning out your deck, one may be better for combat, one may be better for money, that kind of thing. And there's lots of expansions being planned. You can have multiplayer variants. It's it's a pretty cool little game and it cost I think it cost me about twelve quid. You know, for and all you need to do is buy that deck and somebody else has one of those decks and you can play multiplayers with them. It's pretty awesome actually, I gotta admit. This is a cool game, it's really cheap. Expansions are on the way. I think this is going to be quite a popular one with me. It's certainly stuck in my collection now, and I look forward to testing it out a bit more. So, Star Realms by White Wizard Games. Now, unfortunately, we have to go to a slightly more negative first impression, and this is for a game called Shadows of Malice by Devious Weasel Games. It's been published this year, although I don't know when its official release date is or whether it's already been released. It certainly hasn't got a board game rank on BGG yet. And it's a cooperative game in which two to eight players work together to defeat a shadow demon. So it's a fantasy style game and it's a co-op. The idea is, is that you're supposed to be these avatars. They're almost like sort of angelic warriors or something. Although you never actually feel like one. And I'll get into more about that later. You have tile maps, which are based on the number of players there are, and they have all these tokens over them to suggest layers where you can defeat monsters, a bit like sort of um, a bit like Mage Knight in that respect. And you go to these monsters, you beat them up, and you collect new loot and weapons, and obviously level up your abilities, that kind of thing, until eventually you are seeking to find the remaining light wells. There are these wells all over the place. Some are dark, some are light. The dark ones are obviously bad because they allow the shadow demon to come through and start wreaking havoc. But as soon as you can unseal the remaining light wells, you basically block him from ever coming back and win the game. So you've got to search for these things whilst leveling up because you obviously have to be able to beat the more powerful monsters as you go through. One cool thing with this is that the monsters are all completely randomly generated. The race, how many abilities they have, how many stats they have, it's all determined by a die roll on before you do anything. So you could be fighting a just completely randomly generated monster and it, it could be really easy, it could be really hard. So it's a bit random in that sense. The other one thing I do hate about this game though is the style of dice. They couldn't have just stuck with a d6 like normal people. No, they had to 
they've got like D3 and D2, which is normal, but then their basic one is called D star. And D star is almost like a zero slash one dice. Half the die is zero and half the die is one. And when you're reading all these abilities where it says you get two D star and all this lot, it's just like, oh my god. And you've got pluses to various things. You have to roll to hit. You've got roll for defense. You've got D star for this, D star for that. And oh, the game becomes very number crunchy and mathy as you go through. It's a bit of a mind bender in that respect. It just seems a little convoluted for what it really needs to be. Also, this is supposed to be a cooperative game of epic fantasy, but the theme in this is pretty light. I mean, you've got the Shadow Demon, but all he is is basically a token on the board. And you collect these cards which have the various items on there, but they're mostly just a, not the best artwork in general, but basically a picture with some stats on them. Not particularly great in the artwork department, and even the tile boards look very, like, Photoshop-esque. It's... It just really, the theme doesn't really come out, and that was what was a problem. You know, if I'm playing a fantasy game, one reason I like certain fantasy games is because the theme is strong. In this one, the theme just seems to be lost. It's very random in that you might get items that are good, you might just pick up the obscene combo that allows you to pretty much steamroll the game, or you just might get screwed by several monsters on the die roll, and it's very difficult for you to come back. And the thing is, even though you win the game as a group, you're still technically going for a who did the best or MVP and you could just be left behind in that respect so this one is not one that I'm likely to really go and play again it the theme just didn't come out it's far too random with all the dice rolling and I can think of several games in the fantasy genre I would rather play Defenders of the Realm being one of them Descent 2.0 there's there's plenty I just I don't know I, it's hard to talk about this one it just felt so themeless and dry. I didn't mind it, it was okay to play it for that one time, but nah, it's just not going to hit my table again. Shadows of Malice by Devious Weasel Games. Moving on to the discussion segment of the podcast, and I call it mobile phones when gaming, but basically I'm just referring to the generalization of people being a bit distracted when in the middle of a board game. Some people take it offensively. They they kind of think that when you're playing a board game, you should be fully engrossed in the board game and nothing exterior should take your attention off the board game. You should be totally focused on your turn. And they almost class it a bit rude, especially if the person is, let's say, on their mobile phone and when it gets to their turn, they still take 10 minutes to do their turn because they couldn't, you know, be bothered to think it out earlier. For me, I must admit, it'd be hypocritical for me to say I hate mobile phones when gaming because, to be fair, anybody who knows me has seen me on my mobile phone when in a board game as well. However, if I'm on my mobile phone when I'm gaming, it's not because I'm bored of the game. If I'm bored of the game, you'll see me like fall asleep, you know, that'll be the case. It's just the fact that I keep up to date with social media, I am on Twitter and Facebook with regards to the blog, I'm on Board Game Geek on forum threads, So, and my, I have a girlfriend who likes to text me a lot, so it's needed to have my mobile phone nearby. However, what I don't do is that I don't use it when I'm supposed to be thinking about my turn. So I never use it on my turn, 
and if we're playing a Euro game or a game that requires me to plan out my turn before it gets back round to me, I won't use my phone. If the game doesn't require me to have attention to the game, then sometimes I'll use it in the spare bit quick. But I'm still talking to everybody, I'm still being social, so it's not like I'm being totally quiet, it's just I'm trying to keep up with everything. It's a busy life. But I do see some people maybe take the piss with it, and they just go on mad saying, oh, you know, I'm allowed to do it, I'm just being, I'm being social, but, you know, I didn't know I had to do anything. And it's like, well, you would know if you had to do something if you weren't messing around on your phone all the day. It's not just phones, though. It could be anything. It could be any sort of exterior influence. Maybe it's even talking to other gamers on other tables when you should be concentrating on the game you're in. Again, we go to these board game clubs to socialise, to have fun and meet people. So I don't think we have to be totally strict with, oh, you must be engrossed in this. and like Stop talking to him over there. You can talk to him when you finish this game. For now, your turn. You know, and... I think you can generate a bit too much of a sort of a rude type of alpha gamer in a sense when people get like that. For me, I don't mind it so much if people want to use their phone or want to talk to people when gaming. As long as it doesn't drag the game out, I'm happy. And that's like I say, if I'm playing a game of say five tribes, I'd rather people didn't use their phone. Because five tribes requires you to think even when it's not your turn, you need to think about what you're doing, and the AP in that game can reach high levels if people aren't paying attention. But then, alternatively, there are things like the resistance. If you're playing a game of that, ideally you should be speaking to everyone and listening in, but you can listen in whilst you're doing stuff on your phone, and you don't have to talk all the time in the resistance. So that kind of game is not so bad, and in the end it's a group game, which means that the game is still continuing even if you're not necessarily talking. So it's not necessarily a bad thing to go with it on that sense. So with me, I suppose it just depends on the game you're playing and the type of person you are. I'm personally happy with people using mobile phones and talking to people outside of a board game if it doesn't drag the game out. And very most of the time, it doesn't. So I certainly don't use it if it's going to drag the game out. If I need to concentrate on the game, I'm on the game. Sorry love, you're going to have to text me at some other point and I will keep up with my social media later. I certainly hate it when people are always on their phone talking when they're playing the game. If someone's phoned you and it's an important call, fair enough. But if someone's literally just calling you to say hi, take a message. Or say you can call them back. It's not like they're going to suddenly disappear off the face of the planet by the time you call them back. So there are limitations I would say to that. but. I'm not here to be an alpha strict on how you sit and play my board games. You know, I, I just think maybe it's a courtesy thing more than anything else. Someone has taken the time to unpack, learn how to play a game. He's willing to teach you how to play this game. You didn't have to pay for the game. And then you use your phone and basically just don't care whether you're playing it or not. I suppose that can be taken the wrong way by some people. And I must admit, I do teach a lot of my games to players who have never seen them before and I don't necessarily go mad if they use their phone at any point but I would like them to at least be not engrossed but concentrating on the game in the end I've brought this game for you and I've been willing to teach it to you if you don't want to pay attention to this game and don't want to try and enjoy it then there's somebody else who would have rather have taken your place that would probably enjoyed it more. So it can be a bit of a downer for someone, not just for me, but for other people who are teaching games, if that's the way. So really just 
see how it goes with your group. Some groups are a bit more social than others. Some groups are happy enough just to meet up and chat. I'm in for a bit of a mix. You know, I want to play lots of board games and I use board games as a means to be social. So therefore, I'd probably rather that people were concentrating on the game because you're bantering with each other. You're asking people how was their day, you know, what's going on with their lives. So it's not like you're silent and going you know so, so Luke you know how you know you and your girlfriend still doing okay quiet you I'm trying to move cubes <laughs> I must move my meeples this way cut stop stop yelling in my ear my meeples depend on me you know it's not gonna happen like that is it so really I think you don't have to be quite so strict with mobile phones and gaming I just think you know if it's not holding the game up let them do what they want to do just be friendly be social if it does get on your nerves and it's a repeated thing then you could always just, you know, take them aside and, you know, to the bar or something and just say, listen, you know, I enjoy playing games with you, but I think that you need to concentrate more on the games and less on your mobile phone. It's not a personal thing. It just irks me a little and it may irk other players. So please. And if they take it on board and stop doing it, then great. If they continue to do it in the sense that they have not cared about what you said and just basically are looking out for themselves, then yeah, that's a different story and I'd probably get a bit annoyed with that also. But I haven't met many gamers who are like that, so hopefully I won't end up meeting any new ones. But that's it for me on that. Mobile phones and gaming, see how your group goes. It's really down to you at the end of the day. Now we get on to my top 10 list. This is going to be my top 10 favorite releases from Essen that I've been looking forward to. Hmm, maybe we could shorten that a bit. Top 10 Essen releases. Yeah, that'll do. A um, bit of a long title on the first one. But basically, yes, I couldn't go to Essen, which was a bit of a shame, and I will try to go for 2015. I promise I will try. But there are still games that I've looked forward to for a while that are going to be released at Essen, and some I'll get review copies for, some I'll be buying. And I just put together a top 10 list of games and expansions that I'm looking forward to that have come out at Essen or around Essen time. Maybe one or two of them have been released a few days or a couple of weeks earlier than Essen, but it's not that much of a big deal. We're just basically talking that it's the time of Essen, what's been released recently that I've really looked forward to that's appeared on the Essen preview list, shall we say. And I'm including expansions in this because, to be fair, as much as I like some of the games that are coming out, I've really been looking forward more to expansions than I have actual games overall with Essen. I don't know whether Essen just hasn't impressed me a lot this year. I think some of the games that are coming out are going to be a little overhyped or not as fantastic as they're really going to be. But I'm just going to mention 10 here that I have looked forward to. And they are in order, so, you know, the top on this list are ones that I've been looking forward to for ages and the ones at the bottom are sort of I've looked forward to but I can take it or leave it we'll see how things go so let's begin my number 10 is a new game by Uwe Rosenberg and this is probably going on lines with some of his similar games like Caverna and Agricola but this is Fields of Arl or Arly or 
I don't know. It's, uh, nobody's really entirely certain by the pronunciation of it. But this is another worker placement game, funny enough, of which players are developing an estate and expanding their territory by basically building and farming. Hmm, gee, we haven't seen this one before. The idea though is that this one alternates seasons which allow or deny specific player actions and different manufacturing processes that the player acquires can allow them to create goods needed to expand their estate and basically you know it's one of those long worker placement games. I say long because this is at least a two hour game, that's what it's suggesting and it's only for one or two players which is a slight worry. I reckon I would probably enjoy this game because I like the farming theme but I'm a little bit concerned that it's only one to two players and it's still two hours long. I can't think that there's many people I can find who would be happy to sit down and play this with me for two hours. Especially if this is a complex worker placement game, which, given that it's O.A. Rosenberg, I think it's going to be not exactly a light one, let's put it that way. But I'm interested to give it a try, and if it happened to be a good solo game, I might be interested in picking it up for that reason. But that's why it's number 10 on the list. Fields of Arl. My number 9 is by Stronghold Games and it's Panamax. This one has been getting a lot of buzz, particularly among the Euro players. It's supposed to be a very heavy worker placement game which uses dice in a rather unique way. It's based on the Panama Canal which is, seems to be celebrating its 100 year anniversary in service and to be fair it's one of the most important and impressive engineering achievements in modern times so certainly can't fault it. But now there's a board game for it, and the idea is, is that each player manages a shipping company established in the trade zone, and you accept contracts and deliver cargo in what is almost a bit like a pick up and deliver mechanic, where you're sailing through the canal and basically getting your goods through. I don't know much more detail than that, except that this is meant to be up to four players, take about 100 minutes long, so two hours I think we're talking really, and it's meant to be quite heavy without being too complicated to learn. So it sounds interesting, and I'm expecting to get a review copy of this, so I look forward to getting a new heavy Euro game in the collection just to rival the likes of La Havre and Terra Mystica and various other similar ones that I've got. It'd be interesting to try. But it's low on the list, so I could take it or leave it as well. Number 9, Panamax. Number 8 is one that I think most people would have thought I would put higher on the list, and that is Pandemic The Cure by Matt Leacock. Pandemic is not my favourite co-op game of all time. I've said this on my previous review, and even though I own the game, I only own the game because of the In The Lab expansion. I think that was what was needed to bring the theme in the game out. And even then, I find myself playing it solo more than I do with groups of people because of its problem with the alpha gamer. It's, I mean, it's not a bad game by any means, but it's just not my favourite in the world. However, this one has got my attention because I saw an entire tournament of this being played at the UK Games Expo, and it's meant to be uh, like a 30 minute playing time, so we're talking short games, and it's Pandemic with Dice. And all the dice are custom, depending on which role you are, and the outbreaks are done by dice, and I don't know, it just sounds like it will be more interesting and faster than the original card game version. So I'm willing to give this a try, and it is on my list for review copies, so I look forward to getting it to the table at some point soon. So Pandemic The Cure. The next one on the list is by NSKN Games, and it's Progress Evolution of Technology. 
Bit of a mouthful on that one, I must admit. But this is a card game about researching technologies. And at first, when I heard about this game, I thought, okay, is this just going to be a rip-off of innovation? Because that's effectively a card game with technologies. But in this game, each player takes a civilization from early antiquity and learns all the various technologies through the Middle Ages, Industrial Revolution, and modern times, and ending with today's social welfare and internet. Now, again, that sounds like innovation, so where's the difference here? But this one focuses entirely on the technologies rather than anything else to do with a civilization game. There's over 210 technology cards in this game, so we're talking quite a lot of different technologies here, probably more than innovation, I think, in that respect. And you've got three ages, ancient, middle ages and industrial, and three types, military, science and culture. As you advance on each path, you gain easier access to the other advanced technologies, and each tech card will provide a bonus, which can vary from extra knowledge to a larger hand size, to various things you can do with other players. So it's quite cool how that works, and even though that some tech cards come in multiple copies, you know, usually one per player, the key technologies occur less frequently, so you, players are forced to specialize in order to gain these ones and grant unique advantages. And of course, each technology you research decreases the cost of higher ones, so obviously you've got to start low and work your way up. It sounds like a pretty easy game to play. Apparently it's got a solo variant in this. I don't know how that's going to work, but solo variants in games always get to my attention. And it's a civilization game with my favorite aspect of a civilization game, which is the technologies. I love it in Innovation. I think I'll like it in this. I love the technology trees in things like Sid Meier's Civilization, for example, and Clash of Cultures. So I think this one's going to be a pretty good hit with me. My only reason it's not higher on the list is because I worry that it might just simply be another version of Innovation. And I don't know whether this one will work or not, whether it will get the buzz. However, I'm still interested. So it's number 87 on my list, so it's certainly one I'm looking forward to. Progress, evolution of technology. Number six for me is by Czech Games Edition and it is Alchemists. Alchemists just sounds like a fairly light deduction game with a bit of auction, a bit of worker placement, in which you are basically alchemists trying to discover the secrets of your mystical art. So making potions and various concoctions, testing them on assistance, game riches, that kind of thing. It sounds like a fairly typical game, but what's really interesting to me about this is that it requires an app to test the results of the work you do. So you declare your actions by placing cubes on action spaces like before, and each one is done in order, players gain knowledge, that sort of thing. But to test the results, you have to use a smartphone app that randomizes the rules of alchemy for every new game. So basically one game this might work, another game it might not. And it completely changes the way that the game plays. And I'm in the camp with apps boosting games. I know some people have gone mad and said, you know, why am I not getting a full game? I have to get the app as well. Come on, people. How many people in the world have a smartphone or a tablet? We're in a modern age now. We have the technology. Why not use it? XCOM's coming out and they're going to use an app and I think it will probably benefit from it. And I think an app that randomizes how each game plays, that's pretty awesome. I think if this works, it's going to take off like hotcakes, and I hope that more games start using apps. I use companion apps with Seven Wonders and Agricola to do the scoring. I also use the companion apps for things like Sentinels of the Multiverse and One Night Ultimate Werewolf in order to play the game. 
I'm all up for using apps. If you can get it to work, I think this game's going to be a pretty good hit. So I'm looking forward to this one. Number six, Alchemists. And for number five, we have a Space 4X game by Spiral Galaxy Games. This one has spent years in the making. They've been going at this for a long time, and that's Omega Centauri. Omega Centauri is a typical Space 4X game. So the explore, expand, exploit, and exterminate, I believe. I got it right, hopefully there. And basically, it's a galactic empire building game for two to four players, of which your play map is made up of sector tiles, yes, like all the rest of them, and you basically assemble your fleets, build monuments and shipyards, move them, get, increase, like get involved in politics for resources, and research technology. So it's your typical Space 4X game. It's supposed to be more involved in Eclipse in terms of the cool stuff you can do, but obviously it's not quite trying to be a TI-free game. And the playing time for this has been suggested at 60 minutes, which is kind of... I mean, I worry about how much you can possibly get done in a Space 4X game in 60 minutes, but, you know, Empires of the Void does a pretty good job of a, a free X game, I suppose you could say that one is, but that one can still be wrapped up in two hours and you still get a good feeling out of it. I think 60 minutes is probably a lie. I don't think this is going to take 60 minutes to play, but if it does, fantastic. I'd love to see how that works. But from what I've seen of this game so far, the premise sounds good. I like Space 4X games. It would be nice to see a new person in this, uh, sorry, a new game take up the ranks. And if it can be played in such a short time with the quality artwork that this one has, I mean, it looks gorgeous. And the other bits, well, I think it should be pretty good. I'm looking forward to a new Space 4X game because, let's face it, we haven't had a decent 4X game in a while. And I've kickstarted Burning Suns on. Kickstarter, funny enough, and well, much as I'm looking forward to that one, it is taking its sweet time, so maybe this one will fill the void until then. Number five, Omega Centauri. Here's where we now enter the realm of expansions, and I'm still counting expansions, I'm not going to disregard them because even though they're not a brand new game, expansions are still important because they can make or break a game, they have their right to be talked about. And number four is Clash of Cultures Civilizations. I don't actually own Clash of Cultures, and I've only played the game once or twice, and with the base game I thought it was alright, I like it. But I thought maybe there was a balancing issue with some of the techs. I was a bit miffed that you didn't get elephants and cavalry units considering they're on the front cover of the box. And I also didn't like the fact that you weren't unique in your civilization. I mean, yeah, you could explore different techs, so that made you unique. But you weren't your own civ. You started off exactly the same as everyone else. And I know some people like that, and that's fair enough. For me, it was a bit of a pain. What Clash of Culture Civilizations now does is that it allows you to expand it even more. You have 14 historical civilizations, each with four unique advances and three unique leaders. All of these are different techs, they have different abilities, the leaders have abilities that come and go during the game. You can get three new building types, the Apothecary, the Market and the Obelisk, and you can even get Elephants and Cavalry units. And on top of that you even get Pirates on the sea, so even the sea spaces become more hazardous. It 
just sounds like this is exactly what I wanted for this game. It sounds like it's addressing all the problems that I had with the base game. And I really, really want to try this in a game of Clash of Cultures as soon as possible because if it solves the problems that I'm thinking of, then this Clash of Cultures will become part of my collection. I guarantee that. So please, somebody out there who has Clash of Cultures, get this expansion, add it in, and invite me over for a game. I'll bring snacks. I'll whatever, you know, I'll bring I'll bring beer, I'll bring cider. Just let me try this game out because I do like civilization games when they're done right, and I reckon this is gonna be a big boost. So Clash of Cultures, Civilizations by number four. My number three is again another expansion and this one is for probably I think it was my favourite Euro game when I put it on my top 10 list. I love it, a lot of other people like it, but I can understand why people don't. And that is the famous or infamous Terra Mystica and the expansion is Fire and Ice. Basically Fire and Ice is a relatively small expansion. It doesn't add a huge amount to the game, but it adds more interesting races. You have Yetis and Ice Maidens and... Dragon Lords and oh, and shapeshifters and river walkers, you know, all these really cool sounding factions who have various cool abilities like focusing on the cults, uh, building temples, uh, creating volcanoes, and ignoring the basic rule of all the factions, which is having one terrain type. So, multiple terrain types, that's going to be interesting. But I got a feeling the Dragon Yords are going to be a favourite one for me. They're creating volcanoes all over the place. I think that would be pretty cool. And it will allow me to get my own back on those annoying nomads who keep flying all over the place and sticking sand dunes all over my my civilization. You know, but Terra Mystica is already my favourite Euro game. And I just think the variety is already spot on. Having more races, and especially the way these races sound... It's really going to beef the game, and it's going to mean that we're going to get this to the table more often in recent months. So I'm really looking forward to expanding this game out with some quality new races. And they're not adding any new players. They're not adding new rules. They're not trying to overcomplicate the game. They're just bringing in more of the good stuff. That's good enough for me. Terra Mystica, Fire and Ice. My number two might be seen as a little bit of a cheat because technically this was released at Gen Con. However, it was more accessible to the Americans when it was released at Gen Con and certainly it hasn't come out in the UK until literally this next week. So I'm counting this as an Essen release from my perspective. And number two is King of New York. I like King of Tokyo. I think it's a great game. But one of my issues with King of Tokyo is the fact that you can turtle in the game. Rather than going out and beating stuff up, you could just happily sit back, roll the dice, get the numbers, and get loads of points. And to me, that kind of spoils it a bit, especially with the expansion when you're just sat there harvesting evolutions and getting points. It's not the most entertaining way to play the game. King of New York, though, as well as bringing in new funky characters and stuff like that it's still the same sort of game but it focuses a lot more on the powers you can get and on battling other monsters there's very little turtling you can do in this game it encourages you to get out there and start laying the smackdown on all the other players monsters and i think this will solve my big problem with king of tokyo I reckon it's still going to be fun in its own right. You can combine the characters I hear, so that's going to be really good. And I wouldn't be surprised if more expansions came out for this one as well, with different rules, maybe like the power-ups, uh, evolutions, that kind of thing. It's still going to be a quick game, but maybe maybe more of a slight gamer's version than King of Tokyo. I think King of Tokyo is probably going to be a more easier one to learn. 
But all in all, I'm really looking forward to this, and it's on my list of review copies. In fact, you'll probably find that, ooh, looking down my top ten, all the ones that I'm getting review copies for are on the list. Uh, Panamax was one, Pandemic the Cure was one, Terra Mystica was one, and this is one. So there's only one left, and that's my number one. But what could it be? And my number one game that I'm looking forward to from Essen 2014. Antoine Bozo designed the original game. This is an expansion. It's by Reaper's Production. Guessed it yet? Seven Wonders Babble. And some people are probably going to shoot me down in flames and putting an expansion at the top of this list, especially when there's other base games that they're probably looking forward to more. But for me, Seven Wonders is one of my favourite games. I do really like it. I have it fully expanded and I like it pretty much every time it hits the table, whether it's with four players or with a full collection of seven. So I really like the game. But what this problem that the game does have is that it doesn't interact with other players enough. Cities expansion helped, but it didn't do enough. And I can see that that is a potential flaw of the game. However, Seven Wonders Babble introduces two new modules for the game, which can be used individually or together. And in one half, players draft these quarter circle tiles prior to drafting anything else, which depict a law that affects all players in the game should it be put into play. And usually it will mean that, you know, resources provide infinite, or winners in military receive fewer points, that kind of thing. And now, basically, it means that players now have an additional option when discarding a card. They can instead place one of those tiles on a circular display on the board and that law remains in effect until the end of the game or until someone covers it. And then at the end of the game you also receive points based on how many tiles you played on it. This sounds amazing. I, I would buy this just for that half alone. I think having a law that affects all other players in the game has suddenly just brought the interactivity up to a high notch. However, it doesn't stop there. There's another half to this expansion. You have one of five lore cards that is randomly revealed at the start of each age, and a number of tokens are placed on it, based on the number of players. The card imposes a tax on all players who want to play cards of a certain colour. When the player pays his tax, takes the token off. At the end of the age, if all of the tokens have been removed, the player receives a bonus for each token they have, and if tokens remain on the card, then each player without a token is penalised. So, just as the cost of cards increases, the number of resources required increases, and it gets harder and harder. Now, all of a sudden, there's a group element in the game. You've either got the laws that are affecting everyone, or you've got these law cards that basically affect everybody and give you a new thing to aim for. This expansion, I think, is going to bring Seven Wonders to a completely new level. I recently acquired Among the Stars, and I thought Among the Stars might take over as a better game than Seven Wonders. Haven't played it enough to make that decision yet, I need to play it a few more times before I review it, but it's a very good game. This expansion though, oh my god, I've been looking forward to this since I ever first heard it was announced. If it, if it does it right, this could make Seven Wonders so fantastic that it hits my top 10. I don't think it hit my top 10 when I did the last chart. But boy, if it works, this will shoot up to my top 10 easily. So I'm really looking forward to getting this one as a review copy, trying it. I know loads of players that are eager to see me use this, so can't wait for it. Seven Wonders Babble is my number one.
And there we have it, that's episode 23 wrapped up with my top 10 Essen releases. There are some other games from Essen that I reckon will be pretty good, but I just haven't really looked forward to them as much. And I must admit, people are probably already shooting me down in flames for not putting Imperial Settlers on the list. And much as Imperial Settlers looks like it will be alright, I'm worried that this is going to go down the route of Dead of Winter for me, which is that it gets supremely overhyped, and then you play it and you realise that it's okay, but it's not really all that in a bag of chips. I like going for the games that are mostly underrated. And, well, not always. I mean, Panamax is pretty highly anticipated, but then I haven't heard everybody going on about progress, evolution of technology. Omega Centauri's barely been spoken of, and most of the expansions don't get a huge amount of buzz either. But I'm... I think Imperial Settlers will still be a half-decent game, but this is going to be a try before I buy one. And Ignacity Trevacek, much as some of his, his games have been very popular, and I do like some of his designs, but... It's been a hit or miss relationship. So, and I've only just got into Robinson Crusoe after that took me forever to learn. And it did take a couple of games for me to start going, oh, actually, this is an all right game. It's, I just don't think Imperial Settlers is going to like grab me by the throat and demand that I like the game. I could be wrong. And I look forward to somebody in Portsmouth Club bringing it along to try it out because I'm positive at least three or four people in the group have asked for Imperial Settlers to be bought for them. So, We'll soon see what that one's like. But it didn't make my top 10. Maybe if it would make a top... It would make a top 20. I would certainly say it would make a top 20. Maybe top 15. But just not enough compared to the other 10 that I'm really looking forward to. So that's it for me. That's episode 23. The Essence Special, I suppose you could call it. I look forward to doing episode 24 in mid-November. But for now, I've got more games to play. I've got a ton to review with this new joint venture with Games Quest. I've got a holiday coming up next week where I'm heading to Wales for a week with some friends, but I'll still be keeping in touch on social media and BoardGameGeek during that time, and also writing reviews because, well, writing reviews in Welsh countryside sounds relaxing, or at least relaxing enough for me, and considering half the mates are bringing their kids along, I could probably use a mode of escapism in order to get away from the kids and do something that I want to do. So I'll still be in contact during that, but it does mean that I'm just going to have to try and take it easy as well as continue to play games whenever I can. I feel I might be a bit restricted while I'm away on holiday and I'll be getting withdrawal symptoms to get back and start playing more games, especially these Essen releases. But for now, that's it from me. Thank you for listening and just carry on enjoying and playing games as much as you have been already. Look forward to speaking to some of you soon and playing some of these new Essen releases with you. Take care. Bye-bye. To find out more about board games and the Broken Meeple in general, you can visit one of the three main avenues we have online. First up, there is the blog itself on www.brokenmeeple.blogspot.co.uk. You can also find the Broken Meeple on Facebook. Please come and like the page and share your thoughts with me. And on Twitter, you can find me at the Broken Meeple. 